Hello and welcome to Town Hall Tattle, a podcast to let you know what's going on inside South Yorkshire's councils. We'll bring you coverage and analysis as we get behind the headlines from Sheffield, Doncaster, Rotherham and Barnsley. On top of that, we'll also throw in the goings-on at Broad Street West with Mayor Dan Jarvis and the Sheffield City Region, soon to be the South Yorkshire Combined Authority. From council tax, parks, social care, bins, fly tipping, waste services and even dog mess, we've got you covered across the four corners of this great county. We're going to do some trial runs, but we'll let you know our publishing schedule in due course. And as ever, your feedback is greatly appreciated. And if it all goes well, we'll get some guests on too. We'll have Lucy Ashton and Molly Williams on the pod each time, discussing all things Sheffield, Danielle Andrews with Barnsley and Rotherham, and myself, George Tor, with everything going on over in Doncaster and also within the realm of the Sheffield City region. So this has been in the pipeline for a while, and we've decided to launch the podcast in August, possibly the worst month for politics in the 12-month calendar, but there's still plenty to talk about. So we're going to kick things off with Lucy Ashton. Introduce yourself, Lucy, and tell everyone briefly what's been going on in Sheffield with you. Thanks, George. I'm one of the uh, local democracy reporters covering Sheffield. As you say, it tends to be silly season for councils and politics and news in general in August. Uh, but one thing which has been creating a lot of discussion is some new active travel plans by the council. Um, they've got three at the moment. Um, they've got a small pot of money, about three million pounds, but there's quite a tight deadline because the money has to be spent by March 2022. So the council's really got to crack on with this. And as part of this, it's doing a very big consultation with residents. Awesome. Molly, introduce yourself. What's been going on with you this week? Yeah, so I'm Molly Williams. I'm uh, also a local democracy reporter for Sheffield. And uh, one of the things this week is I've been trying to go zero waste um, for obviously for the benefit of the planet um, and I've been interviewing a few uh, zero waste businesses uh, such as Unwrapped on Abbeydale Road, uh, sorry Unwrapped uh, in Crooks and uh, the Barrel Alternative on Abbeydale Road both doing fantastic things not just uh, in terms of reducing plastic and waste for the planet but also just uh, sense of community is really fantastic um, obviously so far the experience of going into a little local shop is so much better than going into a major supermarket um yeah so uh, that's one that one has been interesting before i did this um i also did a week collecting all the rubbish <laughs> that i collected on average which was a bit shocking and shameful but um yeah yeah so that's been fun awesome we've got daniel andrews as well who's covering not one but two councils rotherham and barnsley you have the un unenviable job of covering two local authorities uh daniel what's been going on uh, how are you doing today Hi George, yeah, I mean it's a it's a juggle sometimes, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, even though I've got two councils to cover, it's still silly season. There are still very few meetings that are few and far between. Um, but the row over the Hermes development up at Hoyland Common, that's been rumbling on between the council and environmental activists. Um, over in Rotherham, we've got the council has announced a five million pound package of COVID recovery measures. Um, and there's a consultation opened into plans to open a new tram train stop over at Magna. So that's what's going on in Barnsley and Rotherham in a nutshell. Good stuff. We're going to go into a bit more detail about uh, each of the topics that we're going to be discussing today uh, within the uh, four respective local authorities. We'll start with Lucy over in Sheffield, the one half of Sheffield that gets the coverage. Um, active travel consultations, which basically means trying to encourage more people to cycle and walk around in their communities. Um, 
It's been a bit of a bone of contention because obviously there's a massive debate at the minute after the pandemic about people getting out, using the bikes, getting out walking, more cycle lanes. Uh, tell me roughly, Lucy, what's been going on with this consultation? What kind of areas of the council, what kind of areas of the council going out and speaking to and what's the response been like so far? There's there's three areas. One is they're looking at um, doing an enhanced cycle route from the city centre. It doesn't quite go as far as Woodseats. It stops around the little London Road area. And that has divided opinion. There's been obviously a lot of cyclists are really, really in favour of it. But there's a bit of a bone of contention with plans to close. Um, the railway bridge at Little London Road. It will be closed to vehicles. Now, it's there's a bit of confusion as well because it's not the railway bridge which is near Lidl and B&M. It's, it's the other railway bridge. Um, pedestrians, cyclists, very, very much in favour of this. Some of them said it's an absolute death trap. Motorists not so happy and also local businesses are worried in case it means customers can't get to them as easily. Then at the other side of the city, they're doing a broader consultation in Crooks, Walkley and Nether Edge. And they've basically left this open to residents and said, there's too much traffic in your neighbourhoods. What can we do to make to make them more pleasant for you? So it's very, very open-ended. And again, that's prompted some really interesting discussions. Um, lots of comments about buses. Lots of people really unhappy with the bus services. And some comments say that some people believe active travel always has to mean cycling. And that the only alternative that they're ever given is a cycle lane and to get on a bike and people are saying i don't want to cycle i know there's a problem with cars what i want is a really good bus service or for super tram to be extended if you really gave me an excellent um public transport system i'd be very happy to leave my car but i don't want to get on a bike and do it i suppose this is the old age argument of um you know you want to get cars off the road how do you do that? Well, you get more people on bikes. But I suppose that this is different. To, I mean, people have, have kind of, we've had discussions with, with other people before and the discussion around the Netherlands, for example, who completely overhauled their transport system in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And the majority of people in big, big conurbation areas of the Netherlands ride around on bikes. It's, it's, it's crazy to see when you go over to the Netherlands, how many people cycle. But it's all well and good for the Netherlands on kind of from what I see, because it's flat. And obviously Sheffield is a lot hillier not everyone's super fit. I mean, I'm slightly above average fitness, I would say. I, I run, I do cycle sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I find getting up hills quite hard. I live at the top of a hill. Uh, for, for instance, if I'm coming from the city centre, most ways out of the city centre, you do go up some sort of hill. So how do you get people to get on the bikes and stuff in that respect when what basically what have the cycling groups been saying about that issue where people would turn around to them and say, well, it's too hard to cycle, for example? And a lot, a lot of people have responded to the consultation and mentioned the hills and the topography. I think cycling groups are frustrated because 
it's almost like build it and they will come. So the cycling groups say, look, we don't just want a, a cycle painting on the road and people have to get on a bike and ride alongside some great big 10-ton lorry. We want proper defined cycling routes that are safe that connect the city and actually until you build them people won't have the confidence um to, to try cycling so it is it is a bit of a chicken and an egg situation you know build these these proper cycle routes and encourage people to use them while they're not there people won't cycle the other, the other really interesting point that's come out of consultation is about pavement parking and double parking in places like Crooks and Walkley. Lots of people saying they're, they're sick of it, they can't get up the pavement if they're carrying bags, if they're disabled, if they're pushing a pram. Um, it makes it dangerous for pedestrians, cyclists, motorists to have double parked cars on these very narrow streets. The flip side of that is most of the people living in these terrace houses have a car and most of them want to be able to park their car outside their house. So we've got some people saying they despair of the pavement parking and the double parking, but then we've got other people saying, I desperately need that parking space outside my house. Please, please, please do not remove residence parking. I mean, again, it is a kind of a, a multifaceted approach. You've got cycling and walking, which is extremely important, and you know there needs to be a bigger mobile shift. But the bus situation as well, and this is kind of where mm. the Sheffield City region comes in. They've launched a, a massive, massive overhaul of the bus services. They're in the kind of a step-by-step -step approach. Um, a lot of campaigners want franchising. I know we might be able to discuss that in future at a, uh, at a later date, where more controls been taken over the bus services. But it's just old age argument, argument again, where if the bus services aren't good enough and you touched on it briefly, then people will jump in their car and drive around. And the topography of Sheffield, especially, is not ideal for cycling. It, for the Because yeah. there's a lot of people in Sheffield and cycling has increased massively. I, I do definitely see that. Lucy, kind of what, what other issues were raised on this, on this perspective? Because obviously consultation has been launched in those areas where I, I would say with previous issues like the trees, there was a, a bigger, bigger response to the council than maybe other areas so how how has it gone down is it roughly split is it is it how's it gone um it's actually quite hard to keep track of it. There are there are literally hundreds and hundreds of responses. The cycle lane involved in Little London Road, it was nudging about a thousand responses when I last looked. And the council is in a difficult position here. It's only got three million pounds. It's got a very short deadline to spend this money. It's got the it's got the, these things have to be in place by next March. The council doesn't have any control over the buses, so it, it's not going to please anybody, anybody with any bus problems. And everybody wants something different. And, and that's almost, it's nice to give people a, an open consultation, but there's, there's a real wide-ranging number of views there. So I think it's going to be quite tricky for officers to come up with something here. Good stuff. Lucy, thank you very much for that. We will we will kind of talk on it more, no doubt. It's a, it's a big discussion for Sheffield. Molly, just coming to you briefly, obviously you, you do cycle, you, you recycle a lot. What do you roughly think about this? Do you think this is a good idea or 
do you think that kind of the council have got to kind of really come together with people and kind of thrash out some intermediate solution? Because obviously, you know, people talk about the cycling lobby and they are passionate. They are they are keen cyclists. They know what they want. They have an idea of kind of how to improve city centre urban scapes and stuff around cycling, active travel. What what do you think about the kind of the proposals and what do you think personally as a, as a cyclist yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you were sort of saying earlier, touching on uh, the Netherlands, I obviously grew up in Cambridgeshire, which again, flat as a pancake, and cycling there is massive. If you're going to Cambridge, it's almost more bikes than cars or anything else. Um, but like you say, I think, I think cycling is definitely a way forward and we definitely need to improve uh, cycling infrastructure in Sheffield. And it will get sort of like uh, younger, able-bodied people out uh, even if you're less fit with sort of electric bikes, although they are still quite expensive. We tried one the other year um, and they are good, but you still have to do a little bit of effort in and they are very expensive. Um, but like you say, I think we really need to be looking at buses. I mean, when I think of getting to the other side of the city for stuff, um, I just I, I just don't, buses don't even come into it because it's, it's too complicated. They don't serve the right areas, they're so unreliable. I think for a lot of people, a lot of elderly people and people maybe with health problems, um, you really need those services. So I think maybe that's where we need to be looking mm. first as well. And the trams as well, like the tram service. Yeah. I used to live up in Norfolk Park and it was so, so useful to just jump on the tram. It was dead cheap, got you straight into the city centre um, really quick. To have that on the other side of the city as well, I think would be really useful. I think just picking up on what Molly said as well, one of one of the replies to this consultation was someone who said, I live in Crooks, I'm elderly, I live in Crooks, my doctor's surgery is in Walkley, and I can't get a bus to it. So it's not even going the length of the city, it's even just literally going a couple of miles into the next neighbourhood that people are struggling with. I think there'll be a bigger discussion around buses because I know where, you know, from... For example, my own sister who lives in the S12 area of Sheffield works on Ringing Low Road at a cafe, will have to go into town to go back out of town mm -hmm. to get to, she works part-time as a, as a student's going to university soon. But the whole point of that is why is there not a circular bus route? Mm -hmm. You can get off halfway down and then catch on coming, you know, the other way. I'm using hand signals and, and I don't know what I'm with that. But that's kind of the, the whole point, I suppose. Molly, um, sorry, Lucy, on cycling though, a lot of people who kind of turn around and say, well, you know, electric bikes might be the answer and the trial. Do you think Sheffield Council, I know they lent, you know, myself and Molly got given an electric bike by the council to, to trial and I found it a lot easier to get around the city than on a conventional bike. Do you think some sort of trial would probably push opinion further in that direction? instead where they can loan bikes for cheaper to people if they want to try I think so I mean it's a it's a big outlay isn't it buying even a normal bike never mind an electric one so if you're not quite sure about your fitness levels or whether you can you know logistically do it it's it's a good idea to have a trial I mean there are some people in this consultation who very firmly want to keep their car they do not want to cycle they you know they enjoy their car um so it's it's a real melting pot of opinions good stuff lucy thank you so much we're going to move on uh to some to some news in brief uh some more headlines around sheffield uh, other stories going on uh, in the background so uh, a busy sheffield suburb needs more pedestrian crossings according to an opposition councillor 
Mohamed Marouf, the Lib Dem councillor for Crooks and Crosspool, has raised concerns around Manchester Road near the Tesco store, as well as, as, well as Lidget Lane and Cross Lane. The historical building could be converted into a luxury family home with a swimming pool after Sheffield Council received an application. Built in 1864, Tapton Cliff and Lodge on the corner of Fullwood Road and Shaw Lane could become just one single family home after the applicant changed the plans from nine cottages and apartments. A by-election to replace a Sheffield councillor who is standing down will take place in September. The council has confirmed councillor Alan Law, who has represented Firth Park for more than 30 years, is stepping down due to ill health. He held his seat in the May's local elections with a majority of over a thousand votes, which is a pretty big margin for any opposition party to overturn, no doubt. Um, I'm going to turn back to Danielle Andrews. Uh, Danielle, how are you on this uh, slightly overcast day where I am in Sheffield? I know you're up in Barnsley at the moment. Uh, tell me, you know, what kind of is, is the big issue within Barnsley and Rotherham at the moment? We'll start with Barnsley, first of all. What's going on? What's the big, big topic at the moment? Yeah, so in Barnsley, I think at the moment, um, the row over the Hermes development over at Hoyland Common, that's rumbling on, um, that's ruffled a lot of people's feathers. I don't know if you've been up past Junction 36 recently, but the warehouse is going up fair quick. Um, so it looks a bit desolate at the moment, as you can imagine. They've dug up quite a lot of the countryside and they've put down, it, it was a former mine, it was then allocated as green space and then it was removed from green space in the local plan. And now there's a massive Hermes warehouse going on there. Um, so Barnsley Council announced plans last week that they were going to be planting new woodland, hedgerow, shrubs, wildflowers, that kind of thing um, to uh, gain a biodiversity net gain of 10%. However, they're planting this off site, they're making these uh, new woodlands and things like that. Um, south of the boundary of where the site is and all the way over in Darfield which is basically the, the other side of Barnsley so they are landscaping the site um, where the warehouse is it's not going to be as dug up and desolate as it looks at the moment they have promised landscaping um, and it was in the local plan that they were going to have a biodiversity net gain of 10% but campaigners say that there's no evidence that this kind of biodiversity offsetting is going to lead to any long-term sustainable gain for Barnsley. He says, you know, you're basically just moving it elsewhere. Um, this is Cy Davis of Extinction Rebellion, who I've spoken to this morning. Um, and he argues that the removal of the green space at Hoyland is just going to change the area for a long time. And it's going to have massive implications for people living there. I suppose, again, it's, an, it's another argument of not in my backyard to jobs and growth and local in the local economy for Barnsley. But then you have to kind of, I would have said, you have to kind of balance this. A lot of councils, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure for, for Barnsley, but I know Doncaster and Sheffield have declared a climate emergency. I know Doncaster, the council I cover, has got a range of measures that they're trying to do to kind of uh, bring uh, the net zero target to 2040. So obviously it kind of goes against in that respect but then with the pandemic and with the jobs lost people will see this on some respects as well these are much needed jobs for Barnsley so have you kind of seen that what have the council said basically because obviously it doesn't look too great when it was you know given as green space 
and then removed from the local plan for I'm guessing for for an, an area of employment. Uh, what what have the council said in their kind of uh, defence of this project? So the council say that there's an estimated two thousand new jobs which are much needed because I don't need to tell you how hard South Yorkshire has been hit by the pandemic you know we've still got a lot of staff on furlough the economy was precarious as it was before the pandemic's hit and now you know we're in a really rubbish situation going on long term and the council say you know this is this is the vision this is going to create 2,000 jobs, 800 jobs generated at the distribution centre. That's 800 jobs for the people of Barnsley and their families in the next generation. Um, you know, we can't have people out of work. It's an, it's a good economic development. And we are offsetting everything that has been, you know, the land that's been dug up over at Hoyland Common. We're offsetting that. We are providing biodiversity. We're planting, we're planting new woodlands. We're planting new shrubs, new trees. Yeah, okay, it might not be on site, but for the borough of Barnsley, you're gaining 10% of biodiversity that we didn't have in the first place. Um, so I think the council's gone from an economic standpoint, really, which I, I can understand, you know, there is deprivation in Barnsley. We do need jobs. But then on the other hand, I've heard from campaigners, they're not too happy. They believe that these jobs are going to be minimum wage, zero hour contract type jobs. We can't say that yet. So I think we just have to wait and see. Of course, yeah. And also kind of, that's the balls of perspective, but this actually has a slight knock on effect for Doncaster as well, because with all the warehouse going up and the great job opportunities it does create, the traffic and the pollution on the A635, which crosses into Doncaster through the, through the, the, the lovely villages of Mar and Hickleton, um, I must say so myself. Um, Hickleton, on the stretch of two residential roads, it's, there's only about five residential roads in the village anyway, but on the junction of two of them, it has the highest air pollution of anywhere in the UK. Now, you think that's quite shocking, but what campaigners have said to me is the jobs in the warehouses going up in Barnsley over the border in the Dern Valley are accessing the A635 through the two villages to get to the A1 because as, as a lot of people know Barnsley is slap in between the M1 and the A1 very good for logistics very good that's probably why a lot of warehouse uh, companies set up in Barnsley lots of space for employment on that edge so that's another issue that kind of a knock-on effect for Barnsley I know Hoyland is slightly off the track from where what I'm talking about but obviously lorries accessing the A1 will have to go through those villages in Doncaster. So that's definitely something uh, to keep an eye on. And I'll be definitely talking about uh, air pollution in Hickleton and Mar in future podcasts. Now, if I go back to my notes, because I've lost all of them, here we go. Just going to bring some Doncaster headlines, kind of some stuff that's been going on over in the borough of Doncaster. So uh, campaigners have said that reinstating a railway station in a Doncaster town will be vital for enhanced connectivity, a boost for jobs, and will take cars off the road. The Friends of Askin Railway Station, uh, alongside the support from Doncaster North MP and former Labour leader Ed Miliband and the Sheffield City region, are awaiting if their bid to government is successful in reopening the station for passengers. That was closed in 1947. Uh, the line from Askin would... Uh, stop via Nottingley and uh, head to Leeds as well. So that would be another uh, stop along the Doncaster to Leeds route. Uh, in other news, Doncaster Council has actually been praised after new figures show that the council installed tens of thousands of LED streetlights over the past few years. Data comparing towns and cities show that the borough put up over 45,000 LED streetlights, 
the fourth highest in the UK since 2016. Only London, Sunderland and Manchester actually installed more. Now, a senior Doncaster councillor has called Prime Minister Boris Johnson's comments on coal pit closures crass and insensitive. This is where the Prime Minister previously said that the UK had a big early start in reducing emissions when coal pits, including many in Doncaster, across South Yorkshire basically, were shut down by the Thatcher government in the 80s. The comments sparked an angry backlash from some, including uh, Labour Doncaster councillor Nigel Ball, who said the PM has, quote, absolutely no idea the suffering closures meant to the communities in the borough. Uh, he also went on to say that, um, you know, he painted Margaret Thatcher as an environmentalist is not true and that it was actually the destruction of working class communities. Uh, I must say that the, the Prime Minister did later clarify and say that um, he recognised the huge impact uh, and the pain closing the mines did uh, had in the 80s. Okay, so we're going to cross over to Molly Williams. Molly, the other side of Sheffield. Uh, what have you been doing? How has it all been going? Um, and uh, kind of, you know, your, your topic's slightly different. You're going to talk about Robin Hood. Now, closely associated with Nottingham and Sherwood Forest, but is he actually from Nottingham, though, Molly? That's the that's the case. Have this have, you know, has has history, has you know the Disney films of, of the nineties got got it all wrong? What's the situation with Robin Hood in Sheffield? I'm very curious. Well, as you know, this is one of my favourite topics to talk about. Um, there's a campaign launched in 2019 uh, with Sensoria Festival. Uh, local legend and historian Ron Clayton and the Centre for Contemporary Legend, which is based at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, and it was kind of, COVID has put a bit of a break on the works, but just before then there was a lot of work on um, celebrating Robin Hood because he was born in Nottingham. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my God, sorry, not born in Nottingham. Definitely not. He was um, as a, um, a local uh, school teacher, Dan Eaton, found. Um, the other year, he was in fact born at Little Haggiscroft in Loxley, and um, not just obviously that, the term like... Robin of Loxley, which is kind of sometimes forgotten about. Absolutely, I mean, um, I mean, I went to Sherwood at the weekend, and it's fantastic. They have so much stuff there. There's the statues. There was a guy dressed up as Friar Tuck walking around, calling people "me lady," and it really transported you back. And they've got the Major Oak. But in um, Sheffield and South Yorkshire, we actually have um, Robin Hood's cave at Stanage Edge. And we have um, the Trysting Tree in uh, Rotherham, where Robin Hood was said to have met Maid Marian. And we have um, Little John's Grave in Hathersage, and uh, of course, Little Haggis Croft. And I visited Little Haggis Croft, uh, where Robin Hood was said to have been born um, the other year. And it was just genuinely magical. It was this ancient um, holly woodland all these just more holly bushes than I've ever seen in my life and it really felt like <clears throat> yeah that could have been the place and I think we need to do more to celebrate our heritage in Sheffield it's been said before about um things like football and the great castle that used to stand in Castlegate um there's just so much to celebrate in this city and it really does not just draw in visitors and tourism but also for sort of young people growing up I mean I was born in Nottingham the Robin Hood legend and its ties is sort of inspiring and it felt really proud to be um, associated with that. But um, yeah, we need to bring some of that back to Sheffield, I think. To do really great so this, if it gets off the ground, we're saying that Robin Hood was born in Sheffield, Nottingham have claimed Robin Hood as their own 
uh, and have made millions off tourism, people all around the world, and this could, could have potentially been Sheffield if we'd have found this out sooner. Obviously, need, needs a bit more work and a bit more heritage, but obviously the Robin of Loxley, uh, you know, is a big clue to people who who may not or may or may not know. But obviously, I went to university in Nottingham, and it's 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 everywhere you look. They they've really benefited from from this and tourism as well. Obviously, you know, people from all over the world have seen the the various rather terrible adaptations of Robin Hood films and the Disney film as well. Um, so this is something that potentially could be could be quite good. But in terms of the heritage strategy for Sheffield though, Lucy, I know I know plenty of people have been in touch um, around heritage in Sheffield. The city's got a lot to offer, but obviously the thing that stands out for me is the fact that Sheffield invented the game, or well, the modern game of football. But the, the National Football Museum's in Manchester. We have two, two castle sites. Castlegate is another situation we, we could go on about for ages, but we'll maybe leave it for another podcast. Uh, Manor Castle, where Mary Queen of Scots was, was imprisoned. Um, I actually went to it. I actually went there for a wedding for the first time only a couple of weeks ago. I didn't actually know it was there in that particular area of Sheffield. Do you think the city, Lucy, needs a bit more of a heritage strategy to really kind of propel itself forward in, in this area? Because it does seem, on some respects, it is lacking slightly. Is that a question for me, George, or for Molly? Well, I mean, either or, in terms of heritage, um, I know you've you've been covering the council for long. Yeah, I mean, we've, we there's a really excellent group of volunteers who organise the Heritage Open Days in September, uh, which is a fortnight-long festival, and they... These open days take place in the open air, in parks, in pubs, in galleries, but that is really organised by volunteers. And I, I think Molly makes such a good point because not only does Robin Hood, I mean, Nottingham's claim Robin Hood and it's part of their heritage, but it's also really good for tourism and it's quite, it's quite money making. And I think even if we do, even if Sheffield doesn't steal Robin Hood back, we could do with coming up with our own historical heritage champion to capitalise on. I think as well on that point, Lucy, um, one of the things I've been thinking about is how, if you think of why you go to visit certain places in the UK or in England, it's always tends to be for sort of heritage and history reasons. Mm -hmm. So... To, to have so much history in Sheffield and to not celebrate it or even have a statue or even to have a little bit of information on these things, it's just really missing out. I mean, I, I can't really think of any blue plaques in Sheffield. I'm sure there are. But if you were to ask me to name three blue plaques in a city this size, I couldn't do it. I mean, it says a lot where the first ever first ever football game was played in well the modern game and i keep banging on about football but you know it's played and watched by billions of people across the world as, as we know it now that site where they first played football is now the bnq car park on queen's road and that kind of says it all for me in terms of kind of keeping keeping heritage and stuff yeah i know things mm -hmm. have superseded things and, and other aspects and stuff but it just it just kind of goes to show to me that Maybe there is, some, there is something missing on the heritage side. I know, mm -hmm. I, I know I've know i come across these volunteers before in past lines of work I've done, and they are absolutely amazing, some of the stuff they do to kind of raise the profile of Sheffield on a heritage level and stuff. And I know, uh, especially in Barnsley as well, with 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 the film Kes, 
as well in Barnsley. They've they've really really capitalised mm. on that. And that's one of my favourite films. And I must have watched it five hundred times. It's absolutely hilarious and also very sad as well. But in terms of in terms of heritage as well, I think again we're talking about future conversations. I think if this uh, podcast really gets off the ground, guys, and I think we'll be able to have plenty of things to talk about. I think it's like you say though, George, it's not just about old buildings and castles. It's about football and music and literature and the actors we have and you know, it's that's all our Sheffield heritage, not not just old buildings. Also um, I know this is something as well to kind of put a Doncaster slant on it. They have in the past three, four, three, four years that have really tried to push heritage and art and culture. Uh, some people have moaned about it, but actually, kind of the longer-term benefits, I think it, it'll be really good for a place like Doncaster. Um, it's, it's you know, they're the, the trying to portray themselves as a, you know, a place of industry. They have loads of coal mines. They have a statue now in the town centre. I know that's divided opinion, uh, the statue in the town centre, but uh, you know, it's part of the culture. There's going to be a, a massive mural on uh, across from the French Gate Centre when you when you come out of the train station. The train station's been done up to reflect the industrial heritage. And obviously, it used to be a railway town. And, uh, you know, with the Mallard locomotive as well, loads of top steam engines that were, that were you know, kind of designed and engineered in Doncaster. They, they have been trying to really push this culture and arts uh, conversation forward. And I think, you know, and I can't forget the, the brand new library museum that they've opened. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, right in the centre of Doncaster, uh, the museum's museum's brilliant. It's a kind of a focal point for for Donny folk to kind of go in there and say, "Oh, I didn't know that was from Doncaster." It, it brings a sense of pride to to people in their own in their own places. I think so. But it's definitely something we can uh, uh, definitely discuss in future. But uh, if there's anything else, guys, I'll I'll round it off. Yeah, I was just going to say on that football point, George. The other thing that's been rumbling on is the plough, which is where the Modern games of the rules, uh, modern rules of the game were supposed to have been drawn up, and that's been uh, constantly under threat of demolition. And again, I think the uh, developers appealed this council decision last year to uh, save it. It's just stuff like that, like you say. Um, that's just so it would be. It could be so, such a feature, and yet it's just constantly under threat being turned into supermarkets and housing and whatnot. Is this the is this Gate pub you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, they've said to have drawn up the, the modern rules of the game, and uh, I know that's had all sorts of applications to be demolished, turned into a Sainsbury's. I mean, again, it is sad that we're even discussing the, these things, but obviously, if there's no viable person to come forward, then it is kind of difficult to to kind of do. And obviously, in the age of kind of, you know, cutbacks that we've had, and it's, it's no secret that's been the case for councils across the years, Arts and culture usually is sometimes seen as a bit of an easy, easy get out to kind of cut back on, whereas to move it to children's and adult social services and and, and waste collection and stuff. So it's definitely a discussion for the future, but uh, I'm going to leave it there, guys. But um, thank you so much for listening or watching if people have tuned in or have listened. Uh, we're going to be posting these out on our social media channels. Uh, look out for us and we will be back very, very soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers.